Broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, of course, mostly peaceful host, MTAP, committing alive from historic Rome County, Tennessee. And it is Friday, at least the time of the live broadcast. Now, I know some of you are listening to the rebroadcast on terrestrial radio stations across the country. And in those cases, uh, some of this information might sound a little dated to you, and now you know why. Uh, because the time of the live broadcast is Friday evening. It is March the 26th. It is 2021, to be brief moments after 7 p.m. Eastern. And I've already got uh, visitors in the chat room. First one in today is the crazy Cajun hanging out with us, asking a question right out the gate. Uh, saying, quote, I prefer white meat over dark meat. Am I talking chicken and turkey here? Does that make me prejudiced or racist? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, it, regardless of whatever you're discussing, it does make you prejudiced because you're white, Cajun. That's the difference. Now, if you are a person of any other color, then it wouldn't matter. All right. And now uh, we also have Chief hanging out with us, who was kind enough to come on air with us this past Wednesday and spent about an hour with me, and uh, it was a very good conversation. And, of course, uh, Chief responds to the question by saying, it makes you carnivorous. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
All right, glad to have you guys in here, and good to see that we're in a good mood for a Friday evening. I certainly look forward to hopefully being able to maintain that. I don't want to get too non-peaceful, you know, because I only claim to be mostly peaceful. I have a feeling I may get there before long because I'm really angry about a few things, and I believe I may use this microphone as I often intended to use it in the earliest days of getting behind it, and that's as a way of getting some stuff off of my mind, off of my chest, and out into the universe so I can be peaceful again. Before we do that, definitely want to make sure that we discuss some of the upcoming things on today's show. All right, now I have become very cognitive of the fact that I must always use the phrasing, I am scheduled to be joined by, especially here recently. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, again, stuff comes up, and this has been a crazy uh, year plus at this point. So we are beyond the anniversary of the lockdowns here in the United States. COVID-related. So, yeah, I get it. People have things pop up and craziness ensues. And let's also be honest, sometimes uh, the tech that I'm utilizing the broadcast and live show from over here at BTR, it doesn't always function as it's supposed to. Now, with all that having been said, usually it's pretty good and so on and so forth. But Without babbling too much, I am scheduled to be joined by Dr. Patrick Moore at the bottom of this first hour, which I'm kind of uh, kind of excited uh, to get to talk to Dr. Moore. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with Dr. Moore, you may realize, if you're a longtime listener to the show, that you've heard other guests of mine who work in the field of climate study or who – have worked in other scientific fields who have taken on uh, the scientific method that's being utilized in climate change mythology from the left. Uh, I have had multiple guests uh, make multiple appearances, actually. Uh, People like Gregory Wrightstone, Tom Harris, Dr. Tim Ball, uh, they've been on here with me. And all three of them at one time or another mentioned the influence of Dr. Patrick Moore within the field. Uh, So he is one of the big dogs, if you will, in the fight to counter the mythology of man-caused climate change. Again, nobody denying that climate change doesn't happen. Nobody's saying that climate change isn't always happening. Uh, The bunk here is in the bunk science that's being used to justify excuses of uh, saying that we should give up uh, coal-fired plants, coal-fired plants. We can't have electricity that way. uh, We should all give up beef because, uh, you know, uh, cow farts are bad and ridiculous AOC-type stuff. So I'm looking forward uh, to speaking with Dr. Moore. I am. And – He's recently written – well, recently released a new book called Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. So we'll be talking mostly about the book. I'll see what else he's going on. He's currently sitting as one of the board of directors for the CO2 Coalition, uh, which uh, Gregory Wrightstone uh, relatively recently became a part of as well, if you'll recall from his last visit with us. So again – The lefties need to give this guy more credit than they do, though, because 
in case you have missed it or you haven't read today's show description, he also happens to be one of the co-founders, one of the original people at Greenpeace. So, heh, take that, lefties. Deny him, if you will. <laughs> All right, and then at the uh, bottom of the second hour, we're trying to do a redo. Once again, we had uh, Try It Again Tuesday that uh, worked about 50% <laughs> this past Tuesday. Uh, this week, uh, this Friday, we're trying to get retired Lieutenant Colonel Ray Moore back on with us. Of course, uh, he is a retired Army chaplain. Uh, he is currently still the director of the Exodus Mandate Project, as well as chairman of the publicschoolsexit.com website. Uh, we'll see if we can't get him on board since we missed him last time. And yeah, you know, I never did get any kind of explanation why he uh, wasn't able to make it, which usually I get uh, something like that. Uh, the publicist will step up and say, okay, what have you. But – you know, like I said, these guys are doing me a favor, coming on, talking to me, helping me fill up space, and uh, helping to keep the uh, topics interesting. Uh, much like uh, – <laughs> I wasn't trying to do a British voice. Uh, <laughs> again, the uh, the fun and frivolity is continuing in the chat room. Uh, Bigfoot has joined us as well. Every voice Tim does ends up being Cartman. I don't think so, guys. Anyway, uh, quick shout-out to Bigfoot, who has joined us. He is, of course, a blogger extraordinaire, and I triple-dog dare you to go see for yourself. Go visit him at bigfootsplace.blogspot.com. And uh, if you're curious about the work that Chief does, although he doesn't call it work, uh, I suppose uh, he maybe doesn't. Uh, put in the kind of effort to it that one might uh, require it to be worked out, and one says that if you do something you love, you never work a day of your life. So maybe it's not really work, but if you want to see the product, uh, the content, that, that's a better word for the modern age. If you want to see the content that Chief is putting out, uh, check out last Wednesday's uh, show description here at BTR and follow the links. Uh, that'll take you to his blog as well as uh, a link to his show. So, you know, there you go. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> now I'm trying to work on an Elvis impersonator thing. Bean Cartman might be better than Kenny, who gets killed in most South Park episodes. Well... Leave it to Bigfoot to find the bright spot. <laughs> you can tell it's Friday, and I am glad you guys are in a good mood, especially after the presser that we saw. Now, everybody's talked about it, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, uh, rehashing it, and I'm not going to play the audio clips that everybody else has already played to death. If you've paid any attention at all, you've already heard it. Now, I would like to make uh, one comment, and I say this because there may be some level of issue that I should be concerned about. I've heard a lot of people making a big deal about Joe Biden's reference to Joe Eagle or – no, Jim. Jim Eagle. Because you're going to make Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Okay, guys, pretty clear that he was just trying to say that 
It's so un-American what the Republicans are trying to do with taking away your voting rights that it's going to make everything that happened under the Jim Crow laws look like they're really American. See, I, I, I got it. Now, I didn't think it was a very good comparison. But, and I, I honestly, at first I thought, okay, these guys got it too. They understood the metaphor he was trying to use here. And again, he wasn't – wasn't a great delivery. It's not a great metaphor to use. I'm pretty sure this was one of his Marlocky. <laughs> one of his <laughs> And now I can't even spit it out. I'm still laughing so hard. One of his malarkey moments where he's trying to sound like just that uh, that nice old man that everybody uh, thinks still belongs back a, a few decades in the past, which by rights Joe probably does. But at the end of the day, I, I really thought that initially that some of these folks, they're, they're just making – they're blowing that out of proportion because they're looking for an excuse to do the kind of thing that the left media pretty much did with every time Donald Trump said anything. Then I kept hearing more and more people question that remark, some of them that I thought were smart enough that they probably should have got that. And that I would not have expected them to jump on that as a way to uh, try to poke fun and say, what's, what's he talking about? I didn't understand. Why doesn't anyone understand this? And so then I started wondering, well, okay, well, if they don't get it either, it, it's the fact that I definitely did get it. It's, is that a sign of some type of degenerative cognitive state for myself? Am I in the early stages of thinking like Joe Biden? <sighs> the conversation in the chat room is still <laughs> still focused on South Park now for some reason. Uh, whenever we listen to Tim, we have suspicious minds. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're having a blast. But anyway, uh, and, and that's fine. Uh, if you're going to come here, you know, listen to the show. Uh, stay for the chat room fun. And this is a good opportunity for me to remind all of you who are listening to the podcast after the effect, uh, after the fact, or if you're listening on Terrestrial Radio to rebroadcast, for example, uh, a good opportunity to invite you to come listen live and possibly interact. You can hop on into the chat room and you can see the kind of marvelous repartee that is taking place between. The regulars like Bigfoot and Cajun and Chief and uh, bringing a boy who's not in here yet and uh, may or may not be, but who's normally fashionably late when <laughs> when he and Suzette show up. Uh, and, you know, the various cast of characters that occasionally random possibly pop in, uh, you get a chance to participate. But anyway, back to the, the whole presser. Now, a lot of folks in the conservative media have either been – Really pointing out how off Joe is from this, uh, or they've been sitting back and making a lot of fun. Now, I have a hard time making fun of this for a couple of reasons. Number one, this man is supposed to be the president of the United States. Now, perhaps that's entitled only right now, and I've certainly been someone who has made that statement on multiple occasions. We knew what this was going to be like when it went in, and I think the second reason why I have a hard time of making fun of it is because it is – this may be the clearest case yet, the clearest example yet 
of what I and many others, and I'm certainly not the only one. I wasn't even the first one to make the claim, but that Joe Biden right now is literally being the victim of elder abuse. I mean, the the fact that they're making this guy go out there and try to to try to pull this off. It's not just shameful, it's criminal. I have no sympathy for Joe Biden, no sympathy at all because of the man he has always been. He's been – he has always been a bit of a radical. Nobody should ever make that mistake. They, they tried to dress him up like he was some kind of moderate. They tried to convince the entire country that he's a moderate, evidently managed to make him look moderate by putting him beside – 15, 16 other people that are so much further to the left that he does look kind of moderate compared to that. But he's always been a radical. He's always been mean and mean-spirited. Period. End of discussion. <laughs> there, is, there is not another point to make there. But like everybody else that lives past a certain age, he's had to face tragedy. You have not lived very long at all if you don't live long enough to have to deal with some kind of tragedy. Now, if somebody wants to feel some level of sympathy for the tragedy that he's went through, I can feel sympathy for the family's loss. But I still have a hard time feeling sympathy for Joe Biden. When you see the things that he's done, when you hear the things that he said, when you've seen his efforts to staunchly defend and use the filibuster, which is really where I'm going to try to ruminate for the remainder of this first segment of the show. I feel no sympathy. He wasn't a very nice person, and I still don't think that he is a very nice person based on what he has said, based on what he has done, and when the cameras have been on, when the microphones have been on, when he's just been Joe. I tend to think that like a lot of other people that have been in the position that he's been in, he has on occasion overstepped legal boundaries when it comes to how he engaged with female staffers. Tara Reid ring a bell. Now, again… I can't say with certainty that he's guilty of what Tara Reid accused him of, but I can certainly say nobody in the political world cared to find out. Nobody in the media cared to find out. 60 Minutes Australia does a pretty daggum good job of covering the story, but here in the States, crickets. Here in the States, the amount of coverage was just slightly less than the list of accomplishments that Hillary Clinton had managed to add to her resume that qualified her to be president. Spoiler alert, there's not any. So when I when I get behind the microphone and I start talking about elder abuse in regards to Joe Biden, that's not coming from a place of, oh, I feel bad for that old guy. It comes from a place of Every decent human being should be able to recognize that because whether you're uh, a compassionate conservative that tends to agree with me or if you're an uber leftist who thinks that I am the furthest thing away from a decent human being you can get, 
I can still see it as a criminal action. So why can't you? There has to be a reason that people aren't calling them out. And unfortunately, that reason happens to be they want Joe to be the front guy. They want Joe to be the kind, grandfatherly face behind every attempt they're trying to shove down our throats as they try to finish off what's left of our republic and turn it into a banana republic on its way to full-blown socialist. And we know what they're up to. We call them out left and right. They still manage to control the legacy media. They still manage to control an unfathomably powerful section of the courts. It seems as if justice can't be had, and it won't be had. Now, I was talking with Ron Edwards this past Wednesday, and we made the discussion about why they're reluctant to go ahead and pull the trigger sooner rather than later when it comes to removing Joe. I don't think they're going to be able to keep this BS up, although it was entertaining when Joe Biden uh, responded to a question just the other day that he does fully expect to be running for re-election. Uh, really, Joe? You have a hard time getting through an hour talking to friendly media that you have, in fact, pre-selected that you have the questions and the order in which you're supposed to call on these folks directly in front of you, including with pictures to go with the names so you know who you're calling on. <laughs> yes, it's, it's bovine excrement. Yes, that is absolutely right, Cajun. Take your nukes and shove it. <laughs> and even in the most friendly of confines where they refuse to call on Steve Ducey, where they refuse to call on Fox News, who, you know, other than Ducey, as far as the regular news folks, not the opinion folks that come on in prime time, but the straight news folks on the Fox network, they've all moved away from center. They've all moved – well, some of them have kind of always been to the left, but they did a reasonable job of acting like they were trying to stay close to the center. And some of them were – at least gave every appearance did really good of acting like they were center. Ducey is still one of these folks, but he's one of the few that's still willing to ask tough questions. Now, we did see a random tough question come up. Uh, what about this border policy? What about – what do you say to the, the people that are telling us they came here because? Now, I think a much better question is what do you say to the parent of a nine-year-old kid who was sent walking from Honduras by themselves? Oh, well, a friend went with them. Another nine-year-old. Well, that's awesome. From Honduras to the United States border? I don't know about you guys, but I know even now with my youngest being 18, if I let her play in the yard by herself, which she doesn't do anymore. She's not a little kid. But if I was to, DHS would probably be knocking on my door the next day. Some neighbor of mine would have probably called, and they'd be checking in on me. But in Honduras, it's considered an act of love to send your kid walking to the United States, literally from Honduras to the United States. Is that 15,000 miles or something like that? 
It's not a short trip. It's going to take more than a day. That's not something a loving parent does. <laughs> not on their own. Now, so then the question becomes, is that story true? And we should be questioning uh, the ability of that parent to be a parent. Or is that a BS story to try and gain sympathy because they know too many people are going to be too stupid to ask the question? I don't know. You tell me. I haven't even got to the filibuster. I'm already running out of time for this segment. And we do need to talk about the filibuster and why filibuster can't go anywhere. So I guess I'll have to hold on to that until the first segment of Hour 2. I really am not going to be able to get all that out in the time I have allotted. But there are a few things that are blatantly clear, that are so obvious, that are so plain right there in front of your face. And that is that every enemy, every legitimate enemy that the United States has right now is – salivating for an opportunity to get themselves a piece of barely there Beijing Biden. I mean, we already saw Vladimir Putin uh, challenge Joe to a, a live television discussion, not even a full-on debate, although I've heard a lot of people continue to frame it that way, but just a discussion. Let's discuss some of the things that you claimed on national television, which, oh, by the way, Joe, in case you didn't know, Russia gets – all those cable stations, too. That's the great thing about cable and satellite television and all. They see what you're saying, even if you try to hide on some uh, lesser network, you know, like MSNBC, for example. Uh, so you're not in a vacuum, Joe. I mean, Vladimir Putin is not corn pop. He's not also in a geriatric ward somewhere uh, in case he shows up with a – a chain and a tire iron ready to exact his revenge from the pool from ever how many years ago that was supposed to be. Because, yes, you're old, Joe. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> Cajun says that Putin file, Putin knows English. Biden forgot Russian, so he would need a teleprompter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's there's not really a delay. Biden's just trying to read the teleprompter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want him doing this though. Not not to say that there wouldn't be a certain amount of entertainment value. Yeah, you know, if you're somebody that finds humor and somebody being completely destroyed, let decimated like that. But again, I circle back around to the fact that we're talking about we're talking about the guy who's supposed to be. The president of the United States. We're talking about the guy who's clearly not in charge. But if you think our enemies aren't enjoying the heck out of this, well, then I just don't think you're paying very much attention, boys and girls. I highly suggest that uh, we all should do a little more attention. Pending. All right, let's take that uh, mid-hour break right about now, and uh, we'll see if I can't get uh, the good doctor on the line uh, on the other side of this. Stay where you're at. I'll be right back.
The presidential election could look quite different in 2024 and beyond if Democrats and rhinos have their way. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. House Democrats have totally given up governing on behalf of we the people and simply desire to perpetually rule over us via cheating and scandals. So now they are in full support of the scandalous H.R. 1 bill or the so-called For the People Act. Among numerous horrendous aspects of H.R. 1 would do away with voter identification nationwide, allow for anyone including illegal border crossers to vote. The GOP also speculated that H.R. 1 is a strategic political move to grant Washington, D.C. statehood and ensure two more Democrat seats for the Democrats. Based upon my observations, it appears that Democrats are prepared to do away with constitutional restraints on government and pave the way for leftist-style official one-party rule with no tolerance for healthy debate or dissent. A sure recipe for sickening disaster. May God rescue us from this madness. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Did you know that the unemployment rate for homeless veterans was twice the national average? And without proper shoes, it's hard to get a job? Here's your Veterans Tip of the Day. People from all over the country helped us with our annual Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. There was a time this summer where we believed that probably it wouldn't be successful because of the pandemic, but decided to go ahead and do it anyway. We reached out in the local community and on the various radio shows that I'm on, asked for their support. In a little over three weeks, we received 400 pairs of shoes and over a thousand pairs of socks for homeless veterans so they can go out and look for a job and have a decent pair of shoes to wear. We at Songs and Stories for Soldiers and all the 400-plus soldiers who will receive these shoes and socks say thank you for your generosity. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day.
ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with us through that very brief break. And we are back right now. I seem to be having some strange feedback there in the headset. Hope that's not coming through. All right. Uh, we, of course, are doing the show live tonight. It's Friday. Uh, we're heading into a weekend. Hope everyone is having a fantastic kickoff to that weekend. Uh, my guest right now is renowned in the world of climate change as far as not being a denier, but a man who wants to actually deal with real science and not a lot of the junk science that gets utilized to propagate models that suggest we should do away with cows and whatnot. Uh, he's recently released uh, the new book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, but a lot of you may actually know him from that earlier life uh, that he led as one of the co-founders of Greenpeace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show for the first time, Dr. Patrick Moore. Uh, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for coming on with us this evening. How are you doing today? I'm just fine, thanks, Tim. I'm on a nice spring day on Vancouver Island. Uh, it sounds like a, a pretty good deal to me. <laughs> All right. It is uh, indeed. Now, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, you know, you've, you've done a lot of these things, and, and I want to tell you I'm really excited about the opportunity to, to speak to you directly because I've been talking uh, to some other people in the field for a while, and I've had some folks like uh, Tom Harris – uh, Gregory Wrightstone, uh, Dr. Tim Ball, they've all been on uh, a few times, and it seems like without fail, at least one time, they have brought up your name and the stuff that you've done. Uh, you're also currently sitting on uh, the board of directors for the CO2 Coalition. Uh, you have really taken to heart uh, the fact that Common sense seems to be missing uh, when it comes to the movement forward in dealing with climate change. The fact that the climate may indeed be changing, but most likely has a lot more to do with natural earth cycles and a lot less to do with uh, anything that mankind is directly doing. Not to say that there's not room for doing smart things, but just the fact that the models seem to be so far off and there's so much uh, terror if you will, scare tactics that are being used to, to push this agenda. So I want to, again, thank you for being willing to take up that fight because you've been fighting this when it's not been a very particularly popular thing to do, especially in the scientific community. Well, it's a real shame that the scientific community itself has gone so astray on such an important issue. Of course, the climate changes. It always has and it always will. But we are actually living in a fairly benign climate at the present time, considering we're in the Pleistocene Ice Age, which set in about 2.5 million years ago. And during that time, there have been about 40 to 45 major glaciational advances. We are in an interglacial period now, thank goodness. That has been a lot of help to the flourishment of human civilization over the last 10,000 years which is about when this interglacial period really set in for good. And we've had a climate that still is cold compared to most of the history of life on Earth, like there are huge ice caps on both poles. For 250 million years before this ice age, there was no ice on the poles or in the mountains. The Earth was warm since the last ice age called the Karoo, this being the Pleistocene, the Karoo Ice Age lasted 100 million years. 
and it ended 250 million years ago, and in the intervening period until this ice age, it was warmer. Now, I'm sorry it takes so long to say that, but it didn't take me 250 million years at least. But that's how long it took (laughs) for that to happen. And during that period of time, over the last 150 million years in particular, carbon dioxide has sunk to the lowest it's been in the history of life on Earth, that being 3 billion years. So people have got it completely backwards. And the reason I wrote this book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, is because I realize that all the scare stories today are either about things that are invisible, for example, carbon dioxide, which is blamed for all the climate stuff, including polar bears and coral reefs and just about everything else under the sun, radiation from nuclear energy, whatever is in GMOs that is supposed to be harming us must be invisible because they can't show it to us on their hand or even in a microscope. Then there are the issues that are in remote places, the iconic symbols of polar bears and coral reefs. They use these symbols because people cannot go and check for themselves whether they're being told the truth. And the people who are telling this are the ones who are making all the money off the scare stories and getting power. The activists raising funds, the media advertising and revenue from subscriptions, the politicians promising to save your grandchildren from certain death, and the scientists on serial government grants saying we must keep studying this even though, on the other hand, they're saying the science is settled. Why would you have to keep studying it if the science was settled? So there you go. You, we, we have got a population that has to depend on people who have huge political and financial stakes in scaring you to tell them the truth. Why would they do that when the truth is none of these scare stories are valid, including the climate catastrophe? All right. Well, you know uh... – you kind of already answered what my next question was going to be, and I, I know that it is one of those original uh, – it's really a fun moment when you have that moment of clarity, when you have that aha moment, when you realize these are all things that are invisible, and most of it is pretty much fake. So you have the title you went through, and you go chapter by chapter in the book, and you make out all these cases, and you start with – some of the older, longer-standing uh, scare tactics. I keep wanting to say myths because some of them are, but some of them aren't entirely. There's enough information to, that they can push back on that, but they're certainly scare tactics regardless, so I think that's a safe term to use. Uh, and, and you move forward with more recent ones as you go. But uh, other than that epiphany that what the purpose of this is – what led you to decide you needed to write this now? I mean, you've been in this fight for a little while. Uh, what was the motivating factor? Was it just that aha moment, or was there something else that uh, drove you to decide you needed to once again uh, put more facts out uh, for consumption? Well, I've been studying environmental issues all my life. I started with the books of knowledge at age 12 that my parents gave me because I was interested in science and in knowledge in general. And I ended up in the life sciences in high school, in biology and chemistry and physics. And then I went into real serious life science in my Bachelor of Science degree in forestry and biology. 
And in the late 60s, I first heard about ecology, a word that had not been in the public press until uh, after I heard about it. And, and it really fascinated me that ecology was really about how everything is interrelated, the ocean and the atmosphere and the earth and the trees and the people and all the species are all interconnected. And that is really the fundamental meaning of ecology. And so I went into a PhD in ecology and it was at the height of the Cold War, the Vietnam War, the threat of all-out nuclear war, and the emerging consciousness of the environment. And I just found out about this little group meeting in a church in Vancouver and joined it because I wanted to do something. And we sailed a small fish boat across the North Pacific Ocean to the Aleutian Islands against the U.S. five megaton hydrogen bomb tests going on there. And that was the beginning of Greenpeace. And we won. President Nixon canceled the remaining nuclear tests. And we went on to stop French atmospheric nuclear testing in the South Pacific, save the whales, 30,000 being killed every year, big whales by the Russians and the Japanese. And then the toxic waste campaign all through Europe and North America, uh, making sure that the rivers came back to life again, which did happen. But by about the mid-80s, I'd been in the top committee of Greenpeace for 15 years, an international director. And it started to go sideways, in in my estimation. First, we kind of got hijacked by the political left. Now we had power and money, and that's what they aim for. And they were better at politics, and we were better at ecology. And ecology doesn't help you much when you're trying to control an organization that's gone international with over $100 million a year coming in. And we ended up with a big payroll. Uh, We had to meet that payroll. And all of a sudden, fundraising became more important than what we were campaigning about. And then they started inventing campaigns to ban chlorine worldwide, which is stupid because chlorine is one of the main elements that protects our health and is used for our medicines. So I had to leave. And also they were starting to talk about humans as the enemies of the earth. Now, when we started the peace in Greenpeace, meant to save civilization from nuclear war. And now, now suddenly humans were being characterized as evil and, and something that shouldn't be here, almost like as if it would be a better world if there weren't any people. And that is way not the way I think. I know that humans are one species among many, but we are part of all of life that has evolved on the earth for these billions of years. So I really did have to leave. And promised to be a sensible environmentalist basing my policies on science and logic rather than misinformation, sensationalism, and fear. And it's been a hard road the last pretty much over 30 years trying to combat what turned into a racket-peddling junk science, bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars a year doing it, pulling the wool over people's eyes about how the earth is going to come to an end and scaring all our children in our schools it's it's got to be stopped, and so that's why I wrote this book. Well, I mean, I don't know how uh, how anybody can even argue with that summation of your motivation. Uh, you you have made that full circle, uh, if you will. Uh, you went from I'm trying to save the world from the dangers that uh, are being perpetrated by governments to turning back around and realizing that now you're having to save the world from people that are just trying to make a quick buck but claim to be trying to save the world and want to call you the bad guy for doing what you are. Uh, it is a tough spot to be in. Uh, there, once upon a time, 
there's a lot of folks that claim the mantle of liberal today who actually I say are not liberal, uh, certainly not in the classical sense by any means, uh, that see you as the enemy. Uh, you've managed, however, to hold the path. You've stood on principles. You've done exactly what every good person of goodwill should do on this earth. You have stood on a principle that is a honorable one, and you have not allowed the world to sway you or change you. So I commend you on that, sir, and I appreciate that. Uh, tell me a little bit about your work with the uh, CO2 Coalition and, and what you guys are doing right now. Tim, it's a wonderful organization. Do uh, Dr. William Happer, a uh, physicist from Princeton, emeritus, fantastic career in science, was the founder, along with a couple of other of his colleagues, in, in 2015. And I was asked to come to the founding meeting because Dr. Happer had heard of me and my work. Uh, at this time, I had just brought forward my hypothesis of why carbon dioxide had continued to decline in the atmosphere when, in fact, it's the main food for life and we don't want it to go down to low levels where it causes uh, basically starvation for plants. And uh, now we're 65 uh, top-level scientists, economists, engineers, space architects, a really interesting group. We, we kind of have a loose affiliation with the right climate stuff who are ex-NASA astronauts and, and, and people who built space stations and, and, and rocket ships. Uh, who are skeptical but couldn't say so while they were in NASA because NASA gets over a billion dollars a year to talk about climate change being a problem. And we, we see this whole thing has been institutionalized so deeply, and it is indeed part of the deep state as it's described, that it's really hard to fight against because there's so much money involved. And it's not just the science side of it where there's a lot of money. It's the alternative energy side this whole wind and solar energy scam is based on the fear of climate change and it's trillions of dollars not just billions and it includes tax breaks and subsidies and political mandates forcing electrical utilities to buy this crazy energy which wouldn't exist if it wasn't for all that public money going into it so a few guys get a mansion and become multi-millionaires and everyone else has to pay more for less reliable electricity. That's what's going on in there. The, the wind and solar is a parasite on the larger economy. It doesn't even produce enough energy to reproduce itself. That's where we're at on that front. Yeah, it's just it's, it's mind-boggling. I think uh, a lot of folks in Texas uh, not too long ago got a pretty good lesson on uh, counting too heavily on wind. Uh, it, it was not a pretty thing. Yes. Uh, and that's just a small example. And, and the whole climate change industry and it is based on a premise of falsehoods, uh, one where you have these flawed computer uh, models. They've already been demonstrated to be flawed, and they continue to double and triple down. And like you said, there's, there's a lot of money being made, uh, people in the energy industry, people uh, gaining grants through the sciences, and uh, people, I don't know, like maybe uh, an Al Gore uh, making a, a documentary that uh, is nearly laughable. Uh, and almost everything in The Inconvenient Truth, as 
turned out right now to be nearly the opposite of all the predictions, and yet he's still given credibility. And somebody like yourself has to fight for credibility. It's absolutely uh, absurd, and I am beyond words uh, excited that you stayed in this fight, that you continue to be, and you continue to be an inspiration for other folks to stay in this fight that are just trying to get truth out there and get people to understand that uh, CO2 is not really the enemy. It's it's a good thing generally for human existence uh, and continued uh, the continued cycle of everything in the ecological environment that we have. And I'm probably being a little redundant with my words right now. But uh, at any rate, I, I do want to thank you so very much for everything that you've done uh, to this point. And I appreciate the fact you're not backing down. Uh, please, sir, let everybody know where they can find the book and uh, feel free to share any websites that you would like to. And uh, if you're have any social media presence at all and invite people to follow you, feel free to share that as well. Yes, Tim, my, my uh, Twitter handle where I do most of my day-to-day discussions is EcoSense Now, EcoSense, E-C-O, Sense Now. And I'll tell you, it's on Amazon.com, and, and all the other countries have their own Amazon, but in the United States, it's on Amazon.com. It is number one bestseller in environmental science. I am so thrilled. I had a feeling I might have trouble uh, getting such a book to come up uh, in sales, but it's doing really well, and it needs to have more people reading it. I want parents to buy it, read it themselves, and give it to their grade nine and up children and older children too. Uh, the, The more people that read this book, the more people will understand that these really are a scam, these scare stories. The world is doing beautifully in many ways. It is greening because of the increased carbon dioxide. That is the primary benefit of the CO2. Fossil fuels are not poison, and they're not putting poison in the air. Fossil fuels are the most important energy all for civilization on the whole world, 80% of the world's energy. And fossil fuels, when you burn them, produce carbon dioxide and water, the main two foods for plants through photosynthesis to make sugars. All of the coal and oil and gas was made from plants. It was made from solar energy and stored in the ground until we came along and found it. It is an amazing God-given resource that there's no real substitute for except for hydroelectric energy and nuclear energy, both of which are excellent as well. Hydro is limited by the the geography and the rainfall. Nuclear is not limited. And the fact that the United States and the rest of the Western democracies are not going forward like Russia, India, and China are on nuclear energy is a real problem. That would replace a lot of fossil fuels, which would make them last longer. But just remember, fossil fuels are organic, as in organic chemistry, the chemistry of carbon. Fossil fuels are hydrocarbons. Hydro meaning hydrogen, and carbon meaning carbon. And so therefore, they, they are perfectly natural. They're not the enemy. And people who tell you they are, are lying to you about the basic chemistry of life and the basic chemistry of the fossil fuels. All right. Uh, 
Very well said, sir. Dr. Morgan, thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic remainder of your weekend. Enjoy that great weather up there uh, in Canada. And remember, there are a good number of uh, your friends and neighbors to the south that are very appreciative of everything you're doing. And hopefully if somebody hadn't gotten a copy yet of fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom, uh, this will help encourage them to do so. Uh, Thank you, sir. And I do hope we get a chance to talk again. Thank you. Anytime. I'd love to come on with you. All right. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Patrick Moore. All right. Now, again, uh, I I love people that do a really good job of interviewing themselves because I just had to babble a little bit here and there to, to get to a different topic, and he took care of the rest. Uh, and he makes the very cogent points of – how carbon fuels are related to climate change. Uh, We've had very similar discussions uh, on some of the multiple occasions where Gregory Wrightstone has been on. Uh, He's made the point quite often about the greening of the earth and the cycles. But uh, again, Dr. Moore very eloquently transitioned through the facts. And I'm sorry if you happen to be a leftist and you accidentally fell on this part of the conversation and and you're currently having a conniption. Those are facts, and uh, as Ben Shapiro would tell you, facts don't care about your feelings. So get over your conniption and get into understanding some basic truth. Climate is always changing. Okay, That's not a secret. It's not a surprise. Very few, if any… People are denying that to be the case. Climate changes generally fairly gradually. Humans' impact on Earth's climate is still negligible at best. Now, people want to make all types of assertions because they're pushing an agenda, and usually that agenda is to enrich themselves, either by obtaining more power, therefore influence, therefore wealth, or by directly just getting cash from someone. Perhaps you're a scientist wanting to get another grant. Cha-ching! Perhaps you're somebody running a solar panel company, and you just happen to be friends with someone with a name that sounds a lot like, I don't know, Barack Hussein Akbar Obama, and then suddenly taxpayer dollars go into your pocket before your bankruptcy, where you walk away clear with all kinds of cash that you never should have had because you had a product that couldn't meet market standards. Now, I want to remind everyone, that's the never-ending story. <laughs> Again, people are cracking on the, the use of the word facts in the chat room. You guys like facts. Stop making fun of that. The point, point is that with all of this going on, nobody – here is saying that there won't come a day when maybe solar will be a, a more viable and more reliable energy technology. Maybe even, I don't know, thermal, geothermal energy might become, although I haven't heard people talking much about that in the last decade. Previous to this past decade, it was always amongst wind, solar, geothermal. Don't hear geothermal brought up that much anymore, but uh, geothermal is way more likely to be more sufficient than wind will likely ever be because it's far too unpredictable. Point is, the technology may eventually get there. 
But it's clearly not there now. The hydrocarbons, the fossil fuel energy, it is relatively cheap. It is relatively abundant, and a lot of the myths that we once were raised with about its uh, limited availability were hugely exaggerated. Imagine that. We should continue to use what's available, and we should do so in a responsible manner. Nobody's saying we shouldn't be responsible. Okay, maybe some people are, but I'm not one of them. <coughs> Bigfoot in the chat room says, wind machines are good for chopping birds. Yes, that, that is true. Uh, Cajun says that he can't do solar there. Uh, as his electrician, too many trees absorbing the CO2. And actually, that's really what we want is trees absorbing that CO2. Uh, that's that's a good thing, too, because that equals oxygen for the rest of us to breathe. It's typically a good thing for carbon-based life forms such as ourselves and that symbiotic relationship between us and the plants. It's awesome. But with all that being said, regardless of where you set in the climate debate, it really has to come. Whatever you decide to choose to, to fight for, whatever you choose to say, this is my principle on climate change. I want to get rid of the cows. AOC is right. You need to come from a place of knowing the truth. You need to come from a place where you actually know what you're talking about rather than just rehearsing and then regurgitating talking points from some politician. Too many people have bent the knee. Too many people just go along to get along because it's awesome, except you're a moron. I don't like calling people names. I really don't. And sometimes it's probably hard to tell, but… You're not being very smart if you put your entire philosophy, especially something like energy consumption that can mean huge differences in the quality of life. If you're going to put your hands on your decision-making, you're going to put yourself in these people's hands who couldn't make a milkshake by themselves. Then you kind of deserve what you get, but here's the problem with you getting what you deserve. The rest of us, we don't deserve that. So I'm going to very rudely say read a book. <laughs> All right. I'm going to reset the hour because that's what I have to do here. You guys don't go anywhere if you're here live as uh, hour number two will start right after this. However, if you're listening on terrestrial radio, then there's a really good chance the station you're listening to will indeed uh, break up this hour and the second hour. And you'll hear them at different times if you get to hear the second hour at all. So remember, in case I'm saying goodbye to you for now. Don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take the other guy's word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, you know, some effort to, to figure it out for yourself. But most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth.
of Tapping to the Truth as we bring you the Friday Night Thunderdome edition or something like that. It's Friday. I feel like having some fun. I hope you do, too. All right, here we are. Uh, it is indeed Tapping to the Truth. I do hope you are having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats that I normally throw out there. And as usual, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap Committee, live from historic Rome County, Tennessee. Now, this is, in fact, for the benefit of those of you that are listening on terrestrial radio, the second hour of the live broadcast that took place on Friday evening, uh, March 26, 2021, a few brief moments after 8 p.m. Eastern. Got hanging out with me in the chat room, Bigfoot, 
Crazy Cajun and Chief, host of Simple Facts of Life. Uh, these are all fantastic people. Always glad to have them hanging out in the chat room with me. Uh, they are uh, quite the fun-loving, action-adventure folks, but uh, they also all have a unusually high level of intellect and knowledge. There's a wisdom, and each one of them has a different kind of wisdom, a different kind of knowledge, which makes it really fun when they get together because you're getting all types of stuff going on, and it's fun. So let me take this opportunity to invite you to join me live. You can do that at blogtalkradio.com and then search for Tap Into the Truth. I am here broadcasting live most Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, and I am – Generally recording some shows on Sundays right now. May return to a live Sunday show at some point right now. Eh, I'm kind of digging the, the the recording higher quality stuff. But at any rate, I digress. Back in the first hour, we had a conversation with one of the one of the grandfathers, if you will, of the common sense climate movement. We were talking to Dr. Patrick Moore, and of course he was having a fantastic spring evening uh, up in his home in Canada. And what was kind of funny is when I called him, uh, somehow or another, he did not have his uh, scheduling memo <laughs> that he was scheduled to be with me. <laughs> so he was like, oh, but you know, I'm here, and I'm not. I'm not busy, so yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. And uh, he asked me uh, who I had scheduled through, and he's like, yeah, yeah, well, I checked. I, I didn't see that. I must have missed that. So I'm glad I didn't get anything else going, but yeah. Uh, so that I came very close to, once again, uh, missing on at least one of my scheduled guests, so that would have been scary. But part of the conversation we led to talking about windmills and the such, and uh, the guys in the chat room talking about through some of their travels – how they've seen some of these uh, windmill farms in various parts of the country. And it uh, – just not to be left out of that conversation, uh, here in East Tennessee, there is a town just outside of Oak Ridge uh, called Oliver Springs. And I have a lot of ties to the city of Oliver Springs – well, the town of Oliver Springs. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy the town itself. It's uh, It's small. It's very down home, very rural. But one of the things that it does have is as part of the town, just outside of the city limits, if you will, there is legitimately a mountain called Windrock. And Windrock Wind Mountain is it's literally a mountain. It is an offshoot. It's not technically part of the Appalachian uh, mountain trails. It's not part of the chain, I should say. But it's an offshoot and uh, was created at the same time. It meets the legal definition. Now, there's a lot of ridges that run along uh, nearby as well. In fact, there's a big long ridge that runs almost from that point all the way through Roan County. Uh, but there is a huge ridge that goes in. On top of the ridge near the mountain itself, there is a small wind farm there as well. So if you're driving – uh, it, it's kind of weird. You actually can get a better view sometimes coming from Knoxville heading into uh, Oak Ridge where you get a kind of a clear shot where you're at a, a higher elevation where you can see the windmills better than you can once you actually get 
to where you're coming down from Oak Ridge to go into Oliver Springs. But uh, I literally get to see that nearly every day, at least Monday through Friday. And it is something that you wouldn't expect to see in this out-of-the-way location. And so it's certainly nowhere near as impressive as some of the things that you guys were talking about. But anyway, uh, let's let's move on. We, we've got some other topics to get to. Now, I am scheduled – emphasis on the word scheduled – to be joined at the bottom of the hour by Lieutenant Colonel Ray Moore. Now, Ray Moore is currently the director of the Exodus Mandate Project. Uh, he's the chairman of the public school exit.com. He's the author of multiple books. He's been on the forefront of ending public schools, period. He doesn't like where they're at. He's a big advocate for homeschooling. He's a big advocate for getting the government completely out of the education business altogether, not just the federal government but all levels of government. And we've had this circumstance. We've had this situation ongoing where during the pandemic we've kind of – Face this uh, juxtaposition, if you will. Most conservatives have really wanted the schools to open back up, right? I mean, we, we've talked about it. Why are the schools closed? The schools shouldn't be closed, blah, blah, blah. But not very many of us are even thinking about how much we've been criticizing the schools before that. And we have, and for good reason. Uh, you know, most of the public schools, well, they're awful. I, I mean, that's it's not necessarily uh, the fault of teachers. So I don't want anybody thinking that, oh, there's Tim, he's cracking on teachers. No, I mean, uh, obviously there are some teachers that aren't very good at being a teacher. Uh, there's a lot of younger teachers in particular who are so indoctrinated that they don't even understand the, where their failings as an educator are because they have been brought into the system so for so long and so hard that, that they're just kind of there. But as a uh, side effect, we, we we're not even questioning why is it we want the schools open back up again. This is the perfect opportunity, and… The fact that teachers' unions are fighting so hard to stay closed really should raise a red flag. They think they're untouchable. This should have been a wake-up call after that initial little bit of, oh, my gosh, this, this isn't as easy as we thought it might have been. We should have slowly come to realize how terrible schools are. I mean there are positive things that children get from interacting with other children. Those intersocial skills are important, but you can work around that without having to send your kids to public schools. Well, as it turns out, uh, the lieutenant colonel uh, is uh, – he's big on this whole idea. He's been pushing this idea for a long time, and I'm very much looking forward to hopefully connecting with him. Like I said, we were supposed to get together last week, and there was – uh, some type of miscommunication, and we weren't able to get together. So hopefully we will get that conversation in tonight. And if we don't, well, I'll try again. <laughs> I just I, I don't.
schedule people I don't want to have that conversation with. Now, sometimes uh, in the past we've had a, a hard time getting folks scheduled by the time what I had brought them on for isn't really a topic that seems worth hashing out again, You know, moved into the category of legitimate old news, but uh, it kind of is what it is. So hopefully we can have that conversation, and if not, and eh, like I said, we'll do the try again thing. Now, I wanted to talk about the Democrats' effort to do away with the filibuster and why that is so ridiculous, right? And I didn't get to that in the uh, first hour because I went on a little too long as I tend to do. I definitely want to have that discussion here in the second hour only have so much time to do it. However, right now, calling in a number that looks very familiar to me. I'm pretty sure I know who this is, so I'm going to take a chance on answering it. I believe it is our good friend from over at Understanding the Times in which we live in today. Now, if I'm mistaken, hopefully this will be uh, still a respectful caller, but I'm pretty sure that's who it is. I, I think that's the number. I haven't had a chance to look it up to verify, but uh, if that's the case, let's find out. Uh, caller, uh, am I right in who I believe you to be? Uh, yes, this is the real Joseph Gibson. I'm pretty sure you've probably gotten cranked like many other podcasters and uh, even Howard Stern and everybody else throughout the uh, years, I guess. But no, this is the real Joseph Gibson. <laughs> All right. How are you doing tonight? <gasps> I'm doing pretty well. It's it's Friday. I'm feeling pretty good. Although, you know, it's it's hard to stay optimistic with uh, everything we see going on. But I've decided I'm not going to let that bother me today. I'm going to have a good Friday. Uh, I trust you're doing well yourself. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, I'm still fighting the good fight to restore the republic, and uh, obviously a lot's happened since we've I've been on your uh, podcast. Uh, January sixth happened. Uh, you know, a lot of events have happened. Um, obviously, Biden the the uh, you know sleepy Joe there, uh, the China the Joe, whatever you want to call him, whatever nickname they got, to, you know your future president Kamala Harris there, they're they're controlling the district of criminals now, and uh, you know so I don't think we have less than four years left. I don't think we'll make it to another election. And you were talking about the get rid of the filibuster. That's just one more step to nationalizing the elections and getting rid of the electoral college. And uh, we will ever have enough. We will not never have another conservative voice in the White House, for that matter. Uh, I would say after before the midterms actually coming up. So that's what that's what it's looking like. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, it is a tough time to be a conservative right now because it's not only a question of conservative voices in the White House. It's only a matter of time before they're coming after you and me. Uh, I mean, uh, we may not be first on their list on their targets of who to try to take out. But we're certainly on their list. They, they will squash all conservative media outlets as well. They do not want uh, any form uh, of uh, counterpoints being brought to them. They don't want any type of reasonable resistance, even though the resistance we offer is resistance of ideas. They don't want that either because we're way more dangerous to them than an armed insurrection would be. Not that they seem to understand what the definition of an armed insurrection is. That you're absolutely correct. And uh, the January 6th event, I of course, I did I, – I think it was December 18th I did a podcast, and I told everyone that, look, there's going to be a major event occurring that's going to really shape the uh, opinion 
of this country towards uh, the conservatives and the Republican Party and, uh, and a major event that could – and if it went in another way also, then it could have really shaped this country in a different way. But uh, I didn't mention that in, uh, in the vote, the election, of course, the fraud, fraudulent election with the uh, – the voting machines and whatnot, but what the subject that you were talking about with the, uh, you know, shutting down the schools and whatnot, you know, you got to remember the uh, the 1905 law there, the Supreme Court, uh, uh, the Jacobson versus Massachusetts, the 1905, you know, that that was pertaining to a vaccine uh, that was approved, um, and that 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 was supposed to work. We don't have an FDA regulated vac- vaccination right now. This is an experiment they have. So if to forcefully vaccinate or to shut down everyone because uh, based upon this uh, pandemic, I mean, I'm going to ask you, throw a question back at you. What is a pandemic? Are we, I mean, is this really a pandemic in the terms that a pandemic is supposed to be? Well, I think it barely meets the definition just because you had a highly transmissible uh, disease that was present uh, in uh, international uh, levels on multiple continents. So, but now the level of lethality is certainly questionable. Uh, there was only a very small percentage of people that were actually highly susceptible to it, and anybody else that suffered any type of long-term effects is an outlier and a genetic anomaly. So, if you're talking about how deadly it is, clearly not a deadly pandemic, but is it a pandemic by the definition? Technically, it is a viral disorder that was present on multiple continents, so I think it meets that definition that way. But for the most part, it's just kind of a scary word they wanted to use instead of uh, a more truthful description. Well, you're you're absolutely correct. I've had guests on my show. Jay Barone, he was uh, he worked with doctors across the country with this uh, this COVID thing, and and, and the, the COVID, what is it? Uh, you have a 99.9 percent chance survival rate. You know, uh, all the way up to the age of uh, what is it, 74, 72? Uh, you know, and that's what he was saying. And they were listing pay. Uh, Patients there dead of, from COVID-related death that were dying from other uh, ailments. So the numbers were in, uh, I guess you could say, uh, uh, bloated quite, quite considerably. You know, so therefore, why would that? Why would they do that? Why? There must be an agenda. There must be some sort of the conspiracy that is really true. So you know, to, to stay on your talking points there concerning that, I would say that this this uh, China, this this Chinese manufactured wherever it came from, or Bill Gates manufactured uh, a virus that's out there, uh, this bioweapon, whatever they want to call it, yes, there, there was, there's obviously a strain. But you know what? One question is that you have to ask, did you hear anything about the regular flu this year? Nothing. Nothing at all. My, my local pharmacy didn't even offer the vaccination for the flu this year. You know, uh, so what happened to that flu? Did that just all of a sudden become cured because of the COVID? I mean, what what happened to that flu? It, see, it makes you wonder, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, you know, to hear the the leftists uh, come up with their explanation, they'll they'll make this reasonable sounding thing. It's like, well, we were all taking all the COVID precautions, and uh, those worked very well against the flu too. So that's why. Yet somehow COVID was showing up everywhere, and the basic flu didn't. So it, it is still a legitimate question. Uh, their explanation doesn't quite pass the smell test. Uh, I probably shouldn't yeah. say smell test given how they test for COVID, but at any rate, uh, yeah, it's 
clearly there was money to be made and there was control to be had, and some folks still want to see exactly how far along their social engineering experiment and turning American citizens into sheeple, uh, how far along they are. And sadly, it seems like they're much further along than most red-blooded patriot Americans would like to think. That, you, you got that right. Um, as far as you know, the, the 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 news that's going on out there now, as you being a podcaster and me being a podcaster, reporting on uh, the times you know that we're living in today. That's the name of my show. Understanding the times in which we live today, but you reporting news and uh, political events and and being informed uh, about things that are happening. Don't you see a a shift basically to where these the agenda of the Democrats is totally insane. I mean, they've gone overboard to where we didn't think that no man could go, or woman. Let's not discriminate here. Uh, I don't want to get you kicked off Blog Talk or any other show, for that matter. <laughs> but uh, you know, nowadays, but <laughs> but they've gone overboard, don't you think? Oh yeah, I, it's clear cut. I I made this point a few weeks back. Uh, clearly, this is still all part of uh, the Great Reset. Not that there's anything great about it. Uh, but I, I've been reminded multiple times of an interview that John Kerry gave over in Europe uh, a couple years back where he was basically saying that everything's in place to move forward, and when the triggering event happens, it's going to move with a great speed, almost so fast that it's going to be difficult to imagine it's possible. I remember that. Now, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that is essentially – uh, the correct thing, and anybody who wants to look it up, they're free to. It's still out there on the web. Uh, go see for yourself before it's too late. I'm sure they'll scrub it at some point, but uh, it hasn't been memory hold yet. The point being that it really is at a breakneck pace. I think part of it is they learned their lesson from their uh, transforming America uh, <laughs> experiment under Barack Obama. They realize that if they're going to make their moves, they have to make it much faster, and I think they believe they control enough of the media right now that they can paint any patriots who decide the time has come to pick up arms, and I, I certainly pray that we don't get to that point. I don't think those prayers are going to work out, but I, you know, I'm certainly not calling or advocating, but as somebody who's a student of history, the conditions are there. They want to play it off, and they want to paint any patriot who decides to, to take up the cause and and do what needs to be done, uh, as threatening and ominous as that sounds, as being a terrorist as opposed to being a patriot trying to save the nation from their uber-leftist globalist agenda, which is exactly what they're trying to push at that breakneck speed. Absolutely, uh, Joseph, it is scary how fast they're moving. Well, you're absolutely correct. I mean, and speaking about gun control and gun rights, I mean, there are two uh, background check bills that have been, you know, introduced and working their way through right now. And uh, I don't know if they passed or not, or, or they've been assigned uh, I'm a little bit behind here. But, uh, you know, over the last several years, 20 states now have extended background checks. 19 states have red flag laws. Seven states now have assault weapons bans. You know, so it's, it's uh, you know, this, uh, this, you know, to address this epidemic, I guess you could say, of the, the threat of gun violence. I guess that's what they want to do. The, the Democrats, you know, ac across many uh, avenues uh, to ban the, the assault weapon. What is an assault rifle anyway? I've never even, I don't even know what one is. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't make any sense. But you know, they call these uh, AR-15s and AR-10s and AK-47s assault rifles, and they want to ban all of them. And banning that did not work in 1994. 
Uh, it did not work at all. If you go back and look at the FBI crime reports and stats on gun violence, it had no bearing whatsoever on crime concerning gun violence. But they want to take it away, and people seem to forget that the Second Amendment is there not for hunting and fishing, not duck hunting. It's there for the government or tyrants and tyrannical government so that the people can defend themselves against the government. And, you know, and that's why the Second Amendment is there. So that's very important, but I hope and pray we don't go that route either because war is hell, and nobody should ever, ever want war because violence is the last resort. Right. It's it's very difficult uh, once you get to that level to truly win a victory uh, just because you're, you're literally dealing with uh, – in this case, you're going to be fighting other Americans who – honestly believe that they're doing what they're supposed to, that they're doing what's right, and it's just – it's one thing to go fight uh, somebody wearing a different uniform. It's a very different thing to fight people that may very well be a family member or you know, somebody who donated a kidney to somebody you know. Uh, it's, it's hell to begin with, but it's even worse that way. Uh, Joseph, I'm going to have to wind things down so I can yeah, sure. uh, take my mid-hour break and get my uh, next scheduled guest on. But uh, again, I always appreciate your insights and uh, uh, love having you come on when you have the opportunity. Uh, real quick, one more time, please let everybody know where they can find your show. Yeah, they go over to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Joseph Gibson. Understand the times in which you live today. Uh, just real quick, uh, April 16th, uh, I've embraced a little bit. I'm, I'm studying the national, social, national socialist uh, type of agenda and uh, uh, view uh, towards politics because, as you know, we have a constitutional republic here. That's what we're supposed to have, and, we're to, and we see things uh, – we're going to have to merge somehow, somewhere, and start opening up our ideas to something else other than the Democrats' version of socialism. So National Socialist Movement and uh, the border crisis having a rally April 16th in Phoenix, Arizona. So check that out. Be there. I'm going to be there. And uh, check me out on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it, man. Love your podcast. All right. Thank you, sir. Love what you do over there, too. Always enjoy the interaction with all the callers. You keep up the good work, sir. All right, so that is Joseph Gibson. He is the host of Understanding the Times in Which We Live in Today, and uh, certainly worth a listen. If you haven't, uh, go check it out. Uh, lively conversations, to say the least. Takes a lot of calls, makes a lot of calls, gets a lot of people, uh, staffers and the like, on the record. Now, we're going to go ahead and take the mid-hour break right now. I'm going to see if I can't get the old lieutenant colonel on the line while I'm doing it. So you guys stay right where you're at, please. If you don't mind, if you've enjoyed the conversation, and I'm going to have to get to my rant about ending the filibuster on a different uh, <laughs> a different time, I suppose, unless for some reason either A, uh, the colonel is unavailable again, or B, uh, we do shorter than usual conversation. In either case, I might try to get a shortened version out. In the meanwhile, stay where you're at, and since the topic is education… I'm going to do this Edwards Notebook uh, one more time. I don't normally play them uh, three or more times because there's so many for me to play, but it seems to fit with the topic. So, you know, stay where you're at. I'll be right back. No more papers. No more school books. No more teachers' dirty looks. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook. It's bad enough that U.S. government school educators are world-renowned for not providing a very good education for our students. But now, 
more and more people realize that most educators are actually just self-centered hypocritical activists whose only allegiance is to the National Education Association, which supports the Biden regime's effort to educate or indoctrinate children who have crossed our border illegally, while U.S.-born students in Los Angeles remain at home. When it comes to U.S.-born students, the Biden regime has often moved the proverbial goalposts amid teachers' unions, which are a major ally of the destructive Democrat Party. While many Republicans favor a swifter reopening of government schools, I personally believe this is the perfect time for good parents to begin pooling resources and seeking authentic educational opportunities for their grossly undereducated children. And tell those self-centered union educators where to go. What say you? I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Dan Perkins for your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Did you know that the VA drastically expanded telehealth during the pandemic? Telehealth allows you to stay in your home and visit with the doctor. Prior to the outbreak of the epidemic, the VA system conducted about 2,500 telehealth video sessions daily. Today, it's increased a thousand percent with more than 25,000 telehealth calls every day. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Make contact with your local VA facility and find out how you can enroll in telehealth. It'll improve the quality of your care. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us Veterans Tip of the Day. Seems like a thousand years since we had real fears, but the old ones won't forget. Broken levee walls Had a few close calls But they haven't fallen yet And you know the rain's coming The rain's coming All your days and all your nights It brings a storm on you When the sun beats down And it bakes the ground you watch the rich land die Such a vicious drought Even hopes in doubt But there are no clouds in the sky But you know the rain's coming The rain's coming All your days and all your nights It brings the storm on you when you feel the first drop fall, when it kisses your skin, the storm will begin to bring with it promise of change. When you
right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. Uh, we now have joining me retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Chaplain Ray Moore. Ray Moore is the director of the Exodus Mandate Project. He's chairman of the Public Schools Exit com movement. He is a author. He has been on the front lines for trying to save our children from the ridiculousness of our public school system as it has become more of an indoctrination camp than much of anything else. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Colonel Ray Moore. Uh, Colonel, thank you so much for coming on with me this evening. I greatly appreciate your time and effort and, and uh, all this thing. I spent some time setting up our conversation back at the top of the hour, uh, okay. talking about how a lot of conservatives have been kind of on this movement that since the COVID shutdowns, we've really been pushing for the reopening of schools, when a lot of us before that had been complaining about why more people aren't homeschooling. And, and I think that juxtaposition really hasn't uh, set in. It's almost kind of a contrarian thing. But in truth, this has been a great opportunity for people to move forward the idea of not only homeschooling, but to find out what it takes and why it can be better for their students. But with all that having been said, I want to step back and let you, the expert in the field, talk about exactly where your work has been centered at. And if you think that COVID uh, shutdowns have been a positive for the movement or a negative? Well, I certainly don't want to say the COVID itself has been a positive. It's been a kind of a dark chapter, even though uh, it's not as uh, lethal as, as sometimes they want us to think. But, of course, if you have a family member that dies from COVID, it's not a very good thing. But the silver lining in the whole thing has been the shutdown of the public schools. Uh, suddenly, there were 50 million children that were sent home all over the country, and really it was a worldwide uh, thing. Uh, at one time, there were 1.3, 1.37 billion children at home. It wasn't just a United States uh, issue, about 50 million in the United States. <clears throat> and it sort of took our breath away in a good way that this was an opportunity that we had been waiting for. I started the Exodus Mandate, uh, that's exodusmandate.org. I started that ministry about 24 years ago. And, of course, my wife and I were among original homeschoolers in the modern era starting in the late 70s. And uh, so we've seen this movement grow. But there were 50 million at home all of a sudden. <clears throat> and we now know through different, uh, researchers that are specialists in this area, such as uh, Dr. Brian Ray, he's a National Home Education Research Institute in, in the Salem, Oregon. That's N-H-E-R-I.net. I'd urge you to have him as a guest sometime. Um, we've, uh, we, he's estimated or shown empirically that a minimum of 10 to 15 percent will never return to public schools. And that's going to be an additional uh, 3 to 5 million children. So homeschooling has effectively doubled in America in a year, and most of them are Christians. Uh, probably 70% are evangelical Christians. Uh, many of the rest are Catholics and others that have a more of a traditional faith. And it's an extraordinary moment for our movement. We think we're in a once-in-a-100-year moment for growing Christian schools and homeschooling nationwide, if not worldwide. 
And uh, so it's pretty exciting to be here. And uh, as I said, I'm not speaking happily about COVID itself, but the silver <laughs> right. lining was the uh, shutdown and the fact that the children are home, and many of them are still home. So it's given churches and pastors and families uh, time to come to terms with what their really God-ordained role is in the education of their children. And many of them didn't want to be in the public schools anyway. They were very unhappy with it, but they just stayed there. They were lazy or uh, fearful. Something kept them. But suddenly they were home, and Mom and Dad had to take care of it, and they found out it wasn't so bad. It's rebuilt family relationships between parents and children. So it's been a wonderful moment for our movement. Right. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, just so I know you've answered this question probably uh, at this point probably hundreds of times, but uh, just for the benefit of my audience who hadn't had a chance to hear you speak directly, uh, at least not here, uh, was it the apparent direction that public schools uh, – kind of an open hostility towards Christianity, the direction they were headed in that made you decide that public schools were going in the wrong direction, that homeschooling was a better route, or was there some other motivating factor? Well, we started our own family experience in 1977, and some of the same reasons that people homeschool today, we were doing it in those days. Of course, the schools didn't seem to be so bad then, even though they they really were, and just not as bad as they are today. And uh, so we had... uh, we had some of the same reasons, but the situation has gotten so terrible now. Uh, a lot of people don't know that public education, or what I say state-run, state-controlled, state-subsidized public education, is only 170 years old in America. For the first 200 years of American history, we had no state-run, state-controlled public schools. All the education was uh, delivered by families, uh, academies, church groups, and uh, parochial schools. And so the homeschooling was very big in the pioneer era. The Little House on the Prairie, which a lot of us grew up with, that movie series, that wasn't a public school. <laughs> that was a private school. <laughs> and uh, right. so um, the uh, people don't know that history. It's a very dark, bad history. And uh, so all the debris, garbage, and waste of a 100 years of a failed uh, educational models now washing up on our shores and our beaches all at once, and people are just horrified. But if you had looked at it closely, you could have seen that it was inevitable. Uh, anything that does not have Jesus Christ and the Bible at its foundation must inevitably become corrupt. And uh, Christianity is uh, totally expelled from that system. And if you're a, a Christian teacher in many places today and you try to speak out for jesus christ in the class you'll be fired so it's just a it's a corrupt system and we need to get rid of it yeah well one of the things that i really enjoy when i hear you uh speak uh is how passionate you are about the topic and you're not somebody that just goes from one meeting to the next and, and gives a speech and pays lip service. You're extremely active. You you authored the book, Let My Children Go. You co-authored another book with your wife. Uh, you were involved with the, uh, the uh, film Indoctrination, uh, which public schools and the decline of uh, Christianity in America. You were involved with writing the script for uh, escaping Common Core, you, know, you you are constantly working on this topic. You're you're dip, 
you're dedicated to the movement. You don't mind being behind the scenes doing it, but you want to make sure that through all of your efforts that people are getting educated, that they have resources available. You, you go out of your way to make resources available. Would you, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about some of the things that right. they can well, find? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, if they go come ahead. to my, my webpage, that's exodusmandate.org, we have books and tapes, and they could order some of the things that you mentioned just now. My wife and I authored a, a book together, a little book uh, called The Promise of Jonadab, Building a Christian Family Legacy in a Time of Cultural Decline. And we co-authored that about 10 years ago, and it's been very good. It's uh, actually been uh, translated into Mandarin and selling very briskly in mainland China, doing better there than it is here. Uh, but we have that available. They could order that off of our webpage, exodusmandate.org. And, of course, uh, my first book is out, not completely out of print, but we're working now to get it revised and back in print, so I don't have a lot of those available. But the movies that you mentioned are available. That movie, Indoctrination, has been highly successful about 10 years ago, and I was the executive producer and put the funds up for that. And if your people want to order that, uh, they can go to indoctrinationmovie.com and order there off that web page. And uh, so we've done that, and uh, so we've had done a lot of projects. I've been at it nearly 25 years uh, with the Exodus Mandate. But more recently, we want to publicize publicschoolexit.com. And that's a little over a year old, started by some people in San Diego that I had encouraged, and they launched it, and uh, it's doing extremely well. They've got a big staff, and they asked me to come aboard to be the chairman of the board, so I get to kind of go along for the ride, but it's got such a competent staff. Alex Newman is the executive director, uh, Dran Reese, the CEO, and uh, we've got a powerful team. And just yesterday, the three of us were in a conference call with a group of pastors, or actually a pastor and a staff, in British Columbia, Canada. And Canada's having the same crisis in education. In some ways, they're in more harm, doing more harm in their schools than they are in even California. And there's about a dozen churches in the western, British, in the western part of Canada that are going to try to cooperate and uh you know, work with our group to try to do similar things there. So this is a worldwide movement. It's not just happening in the United States. All right. Well, I mean, it's it's clearly a long overdue movement, too. I, it's, there's no doubt that any time that the government pays for something, it has to control that something. And while when they start out being completely innocuous, being completely magnanimous, eventually somebody's going to come along and use that as a tool to harm people. And I think we see a, a very strong result of this embracing of uh, Marxist revolutionary ideologies among a lot of young people, this movement away from uh, belief in the the values of the Constitution, even just uh, traditional family values and an open hostility between a number of faiths, not just Christianity, although Christianity is a major target. Uh, It's just – I really appreciate it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The pastor that I talked to today from Canada – I'm probably not giving his name out, but he's a Baptist pastor in British Columbia – and very solid guy, very biblical man, and he's reported to us today, it was very interesting, 
He said, I always felt that I could train my children at home and train them in Sunday school and at church and disciple them so effectively that I could send them to public school to be salt and light, and they would be able to stand, and it wouldn't harm them, and they would be able to do some good. He says, you know, the last year or two, he says, I've come to position that that is not possible. And if I would send my children into that environment, I would be harming them. And uh, so he's actually come to the position that he's got to get them out, and he's leading a group of pastors in uh, western Canada. And it's very new, but we spent an hour and a half on the phone, a teleconference with him today. And this is just it's phenomenal. I mean, I'm, it's just taking my breath away to see what's happening in this arena, and it's happening all over the world. Yeah. Yeah, and it's even more of a challenge in a place like Canada that doesn't have the same type of protections that uh, we still are barely clinging to here. Uh, it is astonishing. And you know, again, there was a time – and I, I have seen a lot of reasons to, to be very positive in thinking that there is uh, a, a new wave of enlightenment, a, a new level of uh, spread and growth of Christianity. And I, I really hope that that's not just something I'm – trying to see more than is actually happening, but I am seeing those signs, and I think that uh, the movement towards homeschooling probably goes hand-in-hand with that. I I think the point you're making about recognizing that you can't continue to send your children into these, uh, which some of them – and again, I I don't want to sound like I'm downing teachers because some of them are just doing the best they can, and it's either uh, do what they're told or they lose their job and they don't have any influence then. Uh, Of course, some teachers really uh, have no business teaching either, so uh, take that for what you will. But a lot of these schools are little more than cesspools, and it's, it's a terrible yeah, they're doing real harm. Uh, I finished high school in 1961, so that'll tell you how old I am. But uh, I'm still going strong. I may look 60, but I am 77. <laughs> but uh, we still had chapel once a month in a public school, <clears throat> and uh, we had prayer and Bible reading in homeroom every day. And we prayed the Lord's Prayer and uh, read we read scripture, and it was very short, but it it honored God in a way and. We had Christian teachers in the school, and they were able to teach their point of view, and then there were those that didn't agree, taught their point of view. And there was a moral environment, you know. Um, you know, I remember we had a girl in our class back in the 60s, and she got pregnant out of wedlock, and uh, it was horrifying and shocking at the time. And uh, she just sort of went out of town for nine months a year until she had the baby, and then she came back. And now they just, you know, it's they're, they just flaunt these things, and uh, so it's it's a, it's a different world. But those days are never coming back, and Christians have got to get that in their minds. And uh, so when they outlawed prayer and Bible reading in 1962 and 63, that was when we fell off the cliff really fast. And as I said earlier in the program, the waste, debris, and human garbage is washing up on our shores in a shocking manner. But it started with Horace Mann in 1840 when we first adopted the model for state-run public education in America. And that model didn't take hold permanently until around the turn of the 20th century. Now, one of the main things that we say in both the Exodus Mandate Movement and also Public School Exit is that the Scriptures, or God, has assigned the education of children 
to the family and the church, not government. It has no God-ordained authority to be educating children, particularly at the K-12 through level. And so they're violating Scripture, and they're usurping the role of the family and the church. Now, if you're not a Christian and don't go to a church, you can put your kids in a private school and start a private school. But don't tax me and coerce me and all the Christians in America to force us to pay you know, money and taxes for these schools that are attacking our faith and harming our children. It's wrong. It's morally wrong to do that. And so we're, we're saying you can't fix that system. In fact, it's not broken. Public schools are very successful. It's a socialistic model, and uh, socialism does not work in any situation. It always fails, and uh, public education is socialism in education. So we don't want that model. But Christians have got to wake up and realize that their children are being destroyed by it, and the pastors have got to step up and be the shepherds and the men of God that God has called them to be. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Colonel, I, I want to thank you so very much again for coming on today, sharing this message with you. And I also want to thank you for your service, both in the military and the service that you're doing to families across the world as both a minister and as a leader on the front lines of this battle to try and bring education back to the home. Thank you so much. Please okay, put my uh, let everyone again if you can. Okay. Well, yeah, actually, I was going to ask you to, to go okay. ahead and share all the websites that you want to, and if okay. you are inviting people to follow you on any social media, feel free to share that as well. Just one more time, make sure everybody knows where they can find your work and all okay. of the resources available. My personal offices and phone number and email would be at exodusmandate.org, and uh, I'm the director of that ministry, but I'm a chairman of Public school exit.com and that's a particularly helpful website because there's a lot of information about curricula uh, models of Christian education in fact it's more complete and has more information than my original website and and we have a consulting service so if people are interested in starting up a Christian school in their church they can contact public school exit.com and we can you know walk them through it but they need to be serious people don't dabble a lot of Christians like to dabble. They kind of dabble here and go there and do that. Don't ever settle down and do anything serious in the kingdom of God. And this the work of raising your children and starting a Christian school. That's serious business, but it's got to be done. All right, again, thank you so much, Colonel. And I hope we get a chance to talk again soon. Uh, yeah. I have thoroughly enjoyed our uh, conversation. I hope you have as well. Have a great weekend, sir. Thank you for having me on, and I'll be glad to come back. Thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that is retired Lieutenant Colonel Ray Moore. And uh, I don't have direct links in the show description, but I do have – well, I do have uh, publicschoolexit.com so you can copy and paste if you want to. And I did have Exodus Mandate uh, linked earlier, and it seems to have unlinked for some reason. Uh, I will probably – Say probably because sometimes I don't always get around to doing it. I'm a bad host. We'll probably go back in and try and get that fixed at some point. In the meanwhile, I definitely think it's it's an important uh, 
position, and I do really think the juxtaposition that we have been in for a while in regards to we were complaining a lot about public schools and complaining a lot about public schools, and for good reason. And then the COVID shutdowns come along, and uh, suddenly the kids aren't allowed to go back to school. And I think a lot of conservatives really just wanted them to be forced to open these schools back up because, number one, we're paying for them anyway, whether we wanted to or not. And number two, just because it seemed like the teachers' unions didn't want to go back to work. So I think a lot of us think, let's open it back up, in-person learning. You get back – mostly because they didn't. I really think that's part of it too. But this should be used as an opportunity to really push the homeschooling movement and to get homeschooling back to the center because as the colonel mentioned a few times… The government really doesn't have a legitimate role in educating our children. That is a responsibility that is bestowed upon us as parents, and if we don't take that seriously, then we probably shouldn't be parents. <laughs> All right, I really don't have very much time to get into it, so I'll probably save my rant for a later time about ending the filibuster, but I will still go ahead and very briefly – Make a case against ending the filibuster, and then I'll do the full rant later because surely I get started and I won't be able to stop. But here's here's the thing: you you see the Democrats right now wanting to do away with the filibuster, not because they haven't enjoyed using it, not because, uh, as a matter of historical fact, Democrats have used the filibuster far more frequently than Republicans have, but because they are very much in favor of. Uh, rules for thee, but not for me. They love the filibuster when they are not in the majority. But that should tell you all you need to know about the filibuster. Much like the Electoral College, the filibuster is a tool in the more deliberate legislative body of the Senate to protect minority voices. Now, in modern American vernacular, we've come to think of minority as simply meaning people who aren't white. But that's not what minority means. Minority simply means you're not the majority. Complicated, complicated thought process, right? Very hard definition to comprehend. The filibuster is in place to protect the minority. The Senate is designed to be a more deliberative body because government makes terrible decisions all the time at whatever pace it goes at. But if you allow knee-jerk reactions, you are always going to end up with the worst scenarios right now because of the shootings in uh, Georgia and in Colorado. Once again, you hear them banging the drums for gun control, banging the drums for gun control, and you have a bunch of emotional people feeling emotions that are ready to go. Just like we had after Sandy Hook, a lot of die-hard conservatives that I knew extremely well that I never thought I would hear give an inch on the Second Amendment after the Sandy Hook reporting were saying to me, well, Tip, maybe it is time we did something. The something they're suggesting doesn't work. I will remind everyone that today we discovered – today, of course, being Friday night, time of the live broadcast in case you're hearing it later. We discovered that the Colorado shooter passed the rather comprehensive background check that's required in the state of Colorado. So background checks wouldn't have stopped at this. 
doing more of them will not stop this. They're not interested in allowing law-abiding citizens to remain armed and just trying to weed out a few crazies here and there. They are looking to disarm the American public, period. It is that plain and simple. But regardless of that, gun rights, the Second Amendment, the Constitution itself is on the chopping block. <coughs> they come after it. They are effective. They become successful under political endeavors at this by getting rid of the filibuster, by doing the very thing they claim to be fighting against, silencing the majority party. And while they think they have a mandate, while they're acting like they have a mandate from the American people, they most certainly do not. They've been poking the bear for a while. They started poking really hard when Barack Hussein Alu Akbar Obama was residing in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And they started poking even harder when Donald Trump came along, and suddenly we're all deplorable. We went from being bitter, uh, Bible-clinging, gun-toting whiners to, to deplorables to now we're just all freaking terrorists and mentally insane. That's what they believe of us because they're the intellectual class. But there are still enough people of common sense that will stand up and prevent them from doing the worst, the worst things that they can do, essentially relegate the Constitution to finally being completely useless, no longer even a speed bump. And step one of doing that is ending the filibuster. Now, I'm not always a fan of the filibuster being used. I'm not always a fan of how it's been used, especially when Democrats have been the ones using it. But I will always stand. I will always support protections for minority voices because in a democracy, the majority can vote to take away your stuff, and there's nothing you can do about it. In a republic, which is what we're supposed to have, in a republic… Your property belongs to you, and nobody can forcibly take it away from you. The law, the constitution, protects you, the minority, from the majority. Those constitutional protections all go away as soon as the filibuster does. That's going to have to be it for tonight, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Shout-outs to Bigfoot, bringing it boy, Joseph Gibson, who not only called in as a special uh, guest and hung out for uh, the rest of the time in the chat room. Thanks for being here, Joseph. And Chief, uh, Crazy Cajun, who just popped out. Thank you so much. The rest of you have a fantastic weekend, and I will see you again Tuesday for sure, and uh, hope maybe a little sooner if things work out. <laughs> in the meanwhile, uh, don't take my word for anything you've heard me say, but please – Please don't turn on MSNBC or CNN and take their word for it either. Be prepared to put in some effort so you can do your own homework, but most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. I'm out. Good night, everybody.
is using both hands. Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep. To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep. Now in Hitler, now in me and Pol Pot, they told us things that you never forgot. Is using both hands Well I prefer the three oh wings to the tiny two to three Give me more than a thousand yards to protect my family using both hands.